You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is served. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Justice is Served, where we bring you the latest and trending legal news on a weekly basis here on Black Hollywood Live. My name is Sarah Azari. I'm a criminal defense attorney and a host here on Justice is Served, and I'm joined by my co-host, attorney Chelsea Galicia. Hi, Chelsea. Hi. (laughs) All right. Um, We have um, a pretty big lineup for you today in terms of cases and and legal news. And um, before I turn it over to Chelsea for our case of the week, um, actually a big, huge issue with uh, the Baltimore Police Department. Um, I just want to ask all our viewers to stay tuned through the course of this show as we're going to bring to you um, Chris Brown's Naked Stalker, the latest in Lindsay Lohan's never-ending probation and her lack of compliance with community service, as well as the NFL top draft pick James Winston's counter lawsuit against her um, alleged against his alleged rape victim and lastly operation deflate gate which led to Tom Brady's suspension for deflating footballs uh, in a playoff game so with that I'm going to turn it over to you Chelsea okay great thanks all right so following the death of Freddie Gray Baltimore mayor Stephanie Rawlings Blake thought that she could fix the city's policing issues on her own but realizing it was a much bigger task than originally she thought She uh, had a change of heart and asked for help. So the brand new U.S. uh, Attorney General, who we have not acknowledged on the show yet, is being the very first female Mm -hmm. black U.S. Attorney, go to Loretta Lynch. She's uh, got some big stuff to work on uh, just days after walking into this office. She announced that she is um, going to launch an investigation starting immediately to look into patterns of constitutional and civil rights violations in Baltimore, uh, which include include use of excessive and deadly force, unlawful searches, seizures, and arrests, as well as discrimination. So you'll remember the one in Ferguson was uh, done similarly to this. And I think that this report will come out similar to that of Ferguson, where they found patterns of violations. What do you think? I think so, too. I think Baltimore has had a deep-rooted history of um, uh, this type of racism w- in terms of law enforcement. And there's this great divide that the mayor, you know, all the officials of the city talk about uh, for as long as they can remember that there's this great divide between the community and law enforcement. And um, you're right. I think the DOJ is likely to come up with findings of uh, systemic racism in, in the city of Baltimore. And then they, of course, will enter into their typical um, court-enforced contract with the city where they bring up what they think should be done in terms of a reform. So, you know, um, uh, police training, uh, procedures that need to be implemented, things that need to be modified. Um, and, and, you know, and then, of course, the question is, what will that do? Right. Well, right? I... I don't know what's taking so long, but we haven't heard of any such agreement that's come out in Ferguson. Mm-hmm. So 
I can't remember any of these before that they take so long. I wonder if it will be uh, specific by city or will, or is the DOJ just waiting to do a bunch of these investigations? And if they find this same kind of violations occurring in many jurisdictions around the country, if they'll implement the same kind of agreement everywhere, is that what they're waiting for or What's no, it is it for? is by city. It is city specific um, because yes, the common denominator is racism in in these cities that we've been discussing and talking about. But um, but what is happening in each city is probably although similar different. So the the contracts are city specific. The findings are city specific. Uh, but I think it it takes a while to um, because it is negotiated. It's negotiated by the city. The city actually has a say in uh, what they believe is you know uh, to be fair terms to be included in that in that type of contract. So um, you know by the way that the the investigation that the DOJ is doing is is separate and apart. From from another investigation that the DOJ is doing around the death of Freddie Gray. So there's that investigation um, to determine whether there were civil rights violations with respect to the way these six officers handled Freddie Gray um, beginning from you know his arrest. Uh, and then there's also this uh, investigation that you're talking about. All right. Well, I think that maybe technology should come into play here. And we should use something like similar to how Uber rate, we rate each other drivers and passengers. What if we had some sort of rating system where we rated every interaction we had with a law enforcement officer and they rated us and what we rated them as made a difference in their pay and how they rated us made a difference in our, our punishment. Something like a little more 21st uh, century would help, I think, to get things going Sooner than later, maybe some cities can start implementing things like this before the DOJ gets involved, because how long is this going to take to investigate, to come up with this, these contracts? I hope that these contracts work, but I don't know why I'm a little cynical. You know, we saw those images a couple of weeks ago about how 2015 looks a whole lot like you know, 1965. So do these things really work? These I think enforced- they do work. I think change is slow. But um, I don't know that you can, like, yelp a cop. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how that's going to work. But um, but I think that they they do work. This The progress, the change is very slow. Um, and the cities, a lot of times... Um, struggle with it because even though they want to change, even though they want to avoid these riots and protests and this divide and mistrust in their law enforcement, I think ultimately the the concern is the chilling effect on law enforcement. And we've talked a great deal about this before, where, you know, now a, a police officer who has to think quickly on his feet and, and, and respond in a situation, now he has to think about the color of the skin of the, uh, you know, suspect, uh, the actions he's taking to detain the suspect. I mean, suddenly there's this whole thinking process that has to come into play. God and- forbid we ask for thinking. And I don't think that it's skin color that we're asking them to think about. We're asking them to think about the totality of the circumstances. Right. That's just an example of, you know, considerations that now they're not going to be able to just go out and, you know, have free reign. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. So meanwhile, the six officers involved in the Freddie Gray case are asking that the charges be dropped or that the DA, Marilyn Mosby, be recused from this case because she's got some 
supposed conflicts of interest. Mm-hmm. She's married to a, a councilman. She's friends with the Freddie Gray's family's attorney. Uh, there are some witnesses that she's close to, like a chief prosecutor is dating a reporter who interviewed the guy that was in the van mm-hmm. with Gray. So do you think that these are conflicts of interest that are sufficient to pull her off this case or to drop the charges? Uh, yes and no. I'd like to just uh, briefly hit on each of these that you talked about. Um, Mosby is married, like you said, to a guy named Nick Mosby. He's the city council for not just a city in Baltimore, but the city that was mostly most impacted um, by the riots because that's where Freddie Gray was um, was uh, arrested. And so uh, the the alleged conflict is, oh, well, you know, you're doing this to um, help your husband politically and financially because he's dealing with this massive chaos in his district. And, you know, I I don't think that's a a, a conflict that um, is going to really hold up because as Mosby's responded, hey, I oversee every city and every district. She's a tough chick. I like her. Um, You know, she says, I'm prosecuting this case. This is not a conflict. Every city, guess what? Every district, every city in Baltimore is under my reign. So I don't think that is as big of a conflict in terms of, you know, withholding um, uh, going forward. But um, and then the, the news reporter interviewing the, the second prisoner in the van, I, I'm really not sure about that either. I mean, uh, you know, um, uh, that's not necessarily – she's not in the prosecute. she's not in the DA's office. She's, uh, she's in the media, and, you know, you've got First Amendment issues that come up with that. I just think that's not that strong either. Then you've got um, Mosby's office – is taking a role in investigating the case. This could be an issue because the defense lawyers for the cops are um, allowed to call in the investigators as witnesses in the case or cross-examine them if they're called in as witnesses. And it's it's definitely a conflict when you have the witnesses and the prosecutor being one and the same. It's, it's These people are all in the same office. So that might pose uh, somewhat of a conflict. And then they also said that... Um, there's a pending civil case against Mosby's office uh, for having uh, said that there was no probable cause because Freddie Gray was arrested allegedly for a knife that is legal under Maryland law. However, the cops are saying, no, that knife is illegal. And so Mosby's saying, no, that knife was legal. There was no probable cause. And the the um, attorneys for the six police officers are suing uh, Mosby's office saying that this was false information, etc. Well, to me, that is such a self-concocted thing. It's so self-serving. It's like they've created a conflict. You know, they it's like I'm going to go sue you so that you can't prosecute me, you know? I mean, so if I was a judge, I'd say, you know, guess what? Your civil suit is stayed until these six officers are prosecuted, right? Yeah, okay. absolutely. And then of course, the Billy Murphy, I actually know Billy Murphy, but um you know, I don't know. We all contribute. We, you know, I contribute to prosecutors' elections. I contribute to judges' elections. Anyone could any at any point in a case where I'm involved with these people say that there's a conflict. You really have to look at, you know, the the, the separation. I mean, if if this guy at some point helped Mosley, I think she had an ethics issue and he represented her. Um, that might pose a conflict, but I, I don't see the contribution to her campaign. In our world, it's a pretty standard thing. Right. So the the one reason that I hope that you're right is that I don't want these charges to be dropped, and I don't want I don't Lieutenant either. Rice out in the field. That guy's kind of scary. So he's had apparently some mental health issues, some legal issues of his own, where his guns have been confiscated. How was he able to be on the field in the first place? 
That's a good question, Chelsea, because Lieutenant Rice, uh, I mean, he's been charged with involuntary manslaughter, two counts of assault, two counts of misconduct in the office, and a count of false imprisonment. And, um, you know, he is, he's had a history, apparently about three years ago, um, he had threatened to kill himself, and he was referred to a mental hospital, his guns and his badge was taken away, and he was put on a desk job, so he was taken off the field. And then around the same time, because she's ha- he's had this um, horrible custody dispute with his ex-girlfriend, uh, who's now married to a guy named McAleer, around that same time, he threatened to kill McAleer, and what's surprising to me is McAleer didn't get him prosecuted and instead he got a restraining order against him so um and he got his badges taken away his badge taken away again and his guns taken away again so he's had that not to mention that just recently two weeks before the freddie gray incident he um ended up going to neighboring uh city police and essentially misusing his badge and authority and cornering them into go and arrest mcaleer because he's violating his stay away order and he's in my ex-girlfriend's house it's like what's that your business you know what i'm saying so he's doing all that and uh and and he's not believing the police the police are telling him look we already checked the house everything's cool you're good and he's saying you know you you know heads will roll if you don't go in there and you arrest this guy and so the guy is unreal and you're absolutely right chelsea because i don't understand and this is going to raise a big huge question as to how did this guy um how did they deem that he's stable enough to get back into being not only in control of the community but in control of other police officers he's directing them he's advising them that is pretty scary yeah you know so a lot of uh follow-up on that that we'll need because this there's a lot of questions unanswered and uh hopefully we'll get some progress soon and be able to report back All right. On the docket, uh, some interesting stuff, starting with Chris Brown has been stalked by a naked intruder um, in his bed, kind of. Um, Some people would love that. Yeah. um, Amira Ayab, a 21-year-old Houston resident and an aspiring Tunisian singer, um, leaves Houston. She hops on a bus. That's quite a trip. um, And makes it to Malibu. And then she starts tweeting or she's on uh, social media and she says, oh, I'm in Malibu looking for my house. She's referring to Chris Brown's house. Well, Chris Brown is in um, Las Vegas for a few days and Ayab makes herself at home. She's cooking meals. She's living in his house. Um, She is... uh, she refers to herself as Mrs. Brown. And so she starts writing Mrs. Brown and I love you all over his home and his walls. And then she writes her name, Mrs. Brown, that is her name, uh, on his very luxury cars, his uh, Rolls Royce and his uh, Range Rover. And she um, places these really creepy voodoo items around his house and uh, and to top it off throws away baby royalty stuff and the dog stuff so chris brown walks in and is absolutely spooked and this is classic stalking so um she's been charged with three felonies she's been charged with uh first first degree burglary which is residential burglary stalking and vandalism and she's been charged straight across as as felonies so for the um for the first-degree residential burglary, she's facing up to six years in prison. For the stalking, even though it could be a misdemeanor or felony, she's definitely charged with a felony. She could face up to five years in prison. And um, and the vandalism, clearly, is the least of her worries, but she's looking at time on that as well. So what do you think she had? Does she have a defense? Uh, insanity. <laughs> and it's, um, in fact, why Chris Brown doesn't want her prosecuted, or he didn't... Uh, 
isn't filing a case against her. He says that she needs mental health or mental help uh, to get some mental health. Uh, and that's probably where this case is going, especially if she hasn't done anything like this before. Well, here's the thing. Uh, the judge ordered her to stay away from Chris Brown for three years, and I don't see that ever changing. So that means she can't go to any Chris Brown concerts, I suppose. But the mental health issue, um, I beg to differ, because under California law, there's a there's a code section 5150 of the Welfare and Institution Code, and it's also slang for crazy, 5150. She's 5150. But um, uh, there's questions to why isn't she 5150 or why isn't the DA or the defense bringing up her mental state? You know, to me, she's a typical stalker. I think every stalker has this profile of being obsessive and um, not taking no for an answer and, and, and being manipulative. I mean, there is that common sort of characteristics. Those are common characteristics that are uh, in all stalkers. So, you know, she's crazy, but I don't think she's dangerous. And I don't think Chris Brown felt like he was in danger, um, which was probably why he didn't care for, you know, he's been prosecuted enough, so he right. maybe he's a little bit empathetic towards another person being prosecuted, but um, but yeah, she's definitely looking at her bail's going to get increased as well. Right. Well, the interesting thing will for me will be to watch Chris Brown's participation or lack thereof in this case. As a, as a witness. Right. Yeah. Will he be decline to be a snitch? Well, you know, since we've talked before about the, the the anti-snitch culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, will he, you know, not show up for well, it's discovery say, proceedings? It's interesting you bring that up because if you go to trial on stalking, one of the elements is that the person felt like their life or the lives of their family was in danger. So for that, you're going to need a witness who's going to Who's going to say, yeah, this actually, this was written on my kitchen. This was written right. on my car. That is my car. And I felt threatened. And that's interesting. Yeah. Um, but, that's where yeah. I think the interesting part of this case will go. Shall we uh, right. talk about my not so favorite? Oh, yeah. Lindsay Lohan, uh, she has been back in court with my good friend, Sean Hawley, and she just can't seem to get it together again, this time with respect to her community service hours. She was ordered to do 125 hours of community service long ago. This is for a case in 2012, misdemeanor in Santa Monica involving a car crash. And, um, she shows up at the 11th hour, okay, um, with, where she's supposed to be done, if not almost done, with 125 hours, and she shows up with proof of 10, and um, and even those 10 hours, to me, are suspicious because they're done online. When clients ask me if they can do their, you know, DUI classes or domestic violence classes or whatnot online, I always say, let's go back and ask the judge because there's no accountability. There's no supervision. You could be doing my community service hours. I could be doing yours and nobody can tell who did it. Right. So what do you think? um, She's now been given a new order to complete it in 20 days, which is a lot of hours. So what do you think about that? You think she's going to come back done or no? No, she's not going to come back done. She's already uh, even messed up today. She uh, said she was doing everything in her power to get to the child care center. Where is that? In Brooklyn today. Mm -hmm. Um, She actually lied. I mean, I don't know if the court will care about this, but on Monday night, she tweeted, so good to be back in New York, glad to be home. Mm -hmm. But uh, TMZ found that she actually didn't get to New York until yesterday. Mm -hmm. And then this morning, instead of showing up on time, she showed up about two hours late. So 
I don't even think that there. She doesn't have much time. No, there aren't enough hours in the <laughs> okay, day for right. her to get it done. But right. here's the real bummer. I think she won't get it done, and she'll come up with a great excuse, and everybody will be left frustrated at our legal system yet again. Yeah. Because we have Freddie Gray, who looks at a police officer, perhaps the wrong way, dead. Mm-hmm. Lindsay Lohan can't complete her community service. Oh, well, here's more time. This is the frustration that people have with our system. You know, I agree with you. And I have to say that back when she had all the cases just rolling in one after another, um, she was being bounced from Blair Burke's office to Sean Hawley's office and these judges. The judges at airport at the airport courthouse literally would have lunches together discussing Lindsay Lohan because they didn't know what to do with her. She is... um, you know, she comes from a pretty dysfunctional background. Um, I'm not justifying her behavior today, but she has gone through rehab after rehab. Um, she's a typical, you know, entitled um, addict of sorts. And so she is, you know, the judges don't know what to do with her. And, and I have to tell you, Chelsea, like, okay, so the judge threatened her. If you don't do your 125 hours, you're going to go to jail. I'd be like, so what? She's been to jail before. And you know what? The maximum time she's going to do on a misdemeanor is 364 days. In reality, the max she could do is half of that. And in real, for real reality, she's only going to do two weeks. So if I was Lindsay Lohan or anyone for that matter, I'd be like, Oh, I'm scared. Okay, fine. I'll just do it. You know, in fact, if a smart person would just go bite the bullet and do the two weeks, because 125 hours or 115 hours, I guess now, is a lot of time in 20 days. What, what, These if are the judges, eight hour days. If the judges don't know what to do, open the book, look mm-hmm. what it says, and just do that. Enough with the excuses. Enough like, oh, it was questionable. Can she do something online or not? She, she was, Arranging Facebook pictures for a site, right? How, that and is I bet her assistant was of, helping with that or doing it for her. That's it, why I'm saying the that's online not the lesson not, of community service, right? Uh, that's not going to help her. We were talking about this earlier. She needs to hit a bottom, whether it's because of drug use or just her narcissism or whatever. But her ego has beat the system over and over, and so it just gets further and further inflated. Once she hits the ground because she can't get her way in something, then maybe she'll be a contributing right. member to society. Unfortunately, the consequence is jail, and it's not much jail. Um, this, if this was a felony of sorts where she would be you know, going to prison, that would be, I think that would be a bottom. But I think spending a couple weeks in jail for her, I'm not sure if that's really going to make a difference. And by the way, community service, I'm it sounds to me like she's getting the true community service because it's also labor, which we call Caltrans, where you pick up trash on the freight. That's a little bit. That's a little bit more of a lesson to be learned. Yeah, that's much better than Facebook pictures. And I think, and I think, you know, a lot of times, um, as lawyers, we're able to get courtesies from the judge. It, it's not really. It's not so much the judge is like, oh, it's Lindsay Lohan. I'll give her a break. But it's the respect they have for her lawyer that if the lawyer stands up and says your honor just give her one more chance let her come back at the end of the month and the judge says all right fine miss holly yeah you know anyway well, no but i think uh, you know judges should pay attention to what am i doing with everybody else and not just on the attorneys that that i respect just enough is enough 
just consistency would be really helpful oh, to good the, luck with that <laughs> LA County. All right, the NFL top draft pick, Jameis Winston. His name is very interesting. It's not James. It's got an I there. Fires back with a counter lawsuit against his alleged rape victim. So this is really interesting. Who is he? He's a Florida State University um, quarterback turned up NFL top pick. And um, just two weeks before the draft, Erica Kinsman, a former FSU student, accuses her, him in a lawsuit of having been raped, sexual battery, assault, false imprisonment, and inflict, intentional infliction of emotional distress related to the rape. Um, and this is just right around the time where he signed a four-year $23.35 million contract with the Tampa Bay. Um, so uh, the timing of this lawsuit is interesting because it's just two weeks before this guy is finally reaching his lifelong dream. And um, what Kinsman says in her lawsuit is that she met Winston at a bar, um, didn't know him. Um, I, okay, I don't know. I mean, if the guy is that good that he's going to be the top pick, uh, I think he probably had, you know, was the hot, sharp, whatever athlete guy around campus. But she says she didn't know him. Um, and then a known man gave her some unknown liquid, after which she doesn't remember much. So she's claiming she's drugged and then raped. Um, she gets into a cab with, with Winston and his two friends, Carter, uh, or Casher and Darby. And then they go to Winston's apartment where Winston takes her into a bedroom and rapes her. And um, Darby walks in and says, hey, dude, stop. She's telling you to stop. Uh, and then he takes her into the bathroom, puts her on the floor, and locks her in the bathroom. So, um, I mean, does her story sound credible to you? Well, I'm wondering, because she went to the police that night. She did. And she so, went to the hospital that night. Right. So, uh, wouldn't this drug show up? In a test? Right. And that would be, the, and, and you know what? Good point. Because at the hospital when they did the rape kit, I'm not sure what tests they, they ran on her, but when they did the rape kit, um, she, and she made statements at the hospital, she made a pretty interesting, you know, I think significant, uh, inconsistent statement where she said, she was taken to the bathroom, but the, the rape continued in the bathroom. So she says two different. In the lawsuit, she says he just throw her, threw her in, a, in there and locked the door. But that night, to the hospital staff, she says that she continued to rape her. Um, and you know, with the test of the hospital, and one of the reasons that the DA couldn't file charges against Winston was because of the shoddy police work. Because the police took almost a year to start interviewing witnesses, so I'm not surprised mm-hmm. if they misreported it to hospital staff, and the staff never really uh, knew to test her or give her a blood test. Because you know, when you go in for a rape kit, they're looking at your uh, below. <laughs> um, I don't think they're drawing liquids from you and uh, doing blood tests, but. I would but think a, a urine sample at least would have been maybe protocol. a urine sample. Maybe it would have, sh- but you know, I don't know what they look in. And in in I think in a in a rape kit, they're looking for semen. They're looking for some some specific uh, trace of something. I you know if if and that's why when the police take you into um, the hospital as a result of a crime, they're obligated to give enough information for the right test. That's part of their investigation. So it seems to be a huge issue around the investigation because. The DA's office dropped the charge. He went through a two-day student conduct hearing. He was cleared. Um, and the Tallahassee Police Department actually didn't start interviewing witnesses until almost a year later. I mean, these people didn't even remember. Videos were gone. Things were disappearing. Um, and, you know, the, the the interesting thing is Kinsman now suddenly in her um, lawsuit has found the cab driver. That is so 
suspicious to me that everybody was looking for the cab driver and nobody could find him. Now she knows who the cab driver is and he's supposed to somehow fill in the blanks about her state of mind in the, in the cab and whether I she'd seen dr- You know, so this is, this is key though for his disciplinary hearing with the NFL because, um, you know, what the cabbie says will matter deeply with respect to establishing her being incapacitated. Um, This happened in 2012. Right. How many passengers has the cab driver uh, taken? You know, no justice (laughs) for either side here, really. So so in his counter lawsuit, um, Winston says, Miss Kinsman's lying. And I don't know. I don't know about this one because she reported it so quickly. But um, and he's suing for defamation, tortious interference with business advantages because he says that you know he, she has injured his reputation to where he has lost endorsements, and the endorsements that he's still getting are the petty ones. So he's lost a lot of money as a result of this. So um, you know that, that basically she's motivated by greed because she actually asked him for seven million dollars to drop her case. That's never good. Well, but she's, well, we've talked about this before. You can file a suit Mm -hmm. or before you actually file it, you can engage in some discussions before to avoid going through the whole filing system. So I don't necessarily hold it against her that she but asked I think, for this. But I think when you look at you look at the amount, you look at the circumstances, um, especially in rape cases, I agree with you that it's standard in civil cases when you have a civil claim to engage in uh, pre-filing you know, negotiations. But when you're dealing with allegations of rape and, and you know, criminal conduct, we always frown upon someone who's asked for that kind of money. It's $7 million she's asked for through her aunt, who's a lawyer. And, you know, and I just think, you know, I think the hopefully the NFL will um, look carefully at this and, and keep in mind that she could very well be one of those girls who thought she could be the next Mrs. Winston. But he and, wasn't and, and who got he Myers is remorse. now. See, that's the thing that this this happened right before he hit it big. Right. So that would, to me, suggest that that's rehabilitation. Been, you mean it's been time has gone by. He's not the same person. No, I'm saying that at the time of the alleged rape incident he wasn't this big nfl hotshot. Mm-hmm. he didn't have that kind of okay money. i see what you're saying so the motivation at that point that it was money seems less likely because at that point he didn't have any money but sure enough you know years go by you're pissed off that the police haven't started investigating and you you know she hit him up for money in 2013 and at that point it was clear that he was headed to the nfl and seven million dollars so you know, I'm so I, I torn just, on this one. This yeah, one's a tough call. I just think the NFL should really keep in mind that a lot of times, uh, I mean, this this woman's story has been rejected six times by different agencies, and I think but that those even the agencies themselves didn't do their jobs, and so it's easy for them to say, uh, "No, there's nothing here," when maybe they just didn't look hard enough. Right. Well, the school did. I mean, the school did. Although none of it is binding on the NFL, I just think that. Um, you always have to, with this particular type of allegation, you have to look at, you know, the motive because um, women sometimes want more than just the one night stand, you know, one night stand. The guy just wants the one night stand and we call it buyer's remorse. You know, um, they they are very remorseful for having opened themselped up to this man. And then, you but know, she that's, went to the cops that same 
night. Right. That's the part. That's the part that I think make gives her some credibility. Yeah. But if she, if, but if she, if he didn't do it, I, I I would be pissed. I would go after her too. I mean, he's probably lost a lot of money. And yeah, it looks really bad for him. I mean, this is a kid with a big dream, um, a top draft pick, and you know, um, and now they're like, oh, wait a minute, we better make sure you're not a rapist. But now he's asking her for seven million dollars. I don't know where that's going to come from, but I mean, right. that's doesn't hurt to ask, right? All right. Um, last on the docket, uh, New England's Tom Brady is suspended for four games, and the Patriots lose their draft picks for two years, the, the first draft pick in 2016 and their fourth draft pick in 2017, which is a huge penalty for this team, um, for Operation Deflate Gate, which we're going to talk to you about in a minute. Um, the team has also been fined $1 million. So um, essentially what triggered this allegation was that during an AFC championship game with the Indianapolis Colts, um, I think in January, there was a, a you know, um, breaking news in the middle of the game that the ball, the Patriots ball may be deflated slightly under the range, which is supposed to be 12 and a half to 13 and a half pounds per square inch or something like that. So, um, the NFL, of course, begins to investigate this. The Patriots seem to always be under attack for one thing or another. They've been accused of cheating, uh, you know, before, I think as, in 2007 as well. So the NFL does this four-month investigation. They hire a lawyer named Wells, and then he comes up with what they call the Wells Report that was released on May 6th. And in that report, he says, they say, well, even though we don't have direct evidence that Brady was involved in the deflating of the ball during this game, um, he must have known, he must have had some kind of knowledge about it because the equipment assistant and the locker room guy, just Jastrzemski or uh, something like that, yeah, Jastrzemski and McNally. These two guys um, had text messaged each other. They had they were in on this deflation. And, you know, he's the quarterback. He's the one that picks the ball. He's the one that has to love the ball. And, uh, and you know, how could he not know anything? He must have approved this. So they just sort of speculated. The report, Chelsea, is really sort of inconclusive. It says things like probably, generally. Right. Um, and yet this a horrible penalty. Yeah. Right? Well, I the the interesting thing about this report and that we've talked about before is that the standard of proof is kind of very low. That's why it uses very wishy-washy language. It uses um You mean for the NFL? This report, yes, the Uh, NFL in the NFL, you mean, has a lower standard of proof than we do in the legal system. Goodell is the judge, the jury, and the executioner. I mean, that's as low as it's going to get, right? Well, that and you know, words like Brady was generally aware of the actions and that it was unlikely that he didn't know. Right. Um, So vague language like that is sufficient uh, in this. Arena. Mm-hmm. If that's the rules of the NFL, then fine. That's the rules that they get. And so, if that's the standard of proof, then we have to look at it like basically fact. He he knew, or should have known. Okay, but that's the standard of proof. But look at this. I mean, he's denying it, right? He's saying it's ridiculous. I have no knowledge of any wrongdoing. Look, before every game, I choose my balls, I approve my balls, I love my balls, and don't touch my balls. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. But but then. 
you look at like what the NFL's done. That guy Rice, there was a video of him dragging his, beating his uh, wife and dragging her out of the elevator, and he was suspended for two games. But we've also talked about this too. How now the NFL wants to turn over a new leaf and show that it and means up its game. Yeah. And, right. So yeah. it, remember we've talked about a case uh, that came out more recently where the uh, player I can't remember his name, uh, the domestic violence uh, case was not even. Uh, pursued in the legal just system, mm-hmm. or it was, and but that the second time that it went to trial, the oh, woman yeah. didn't show right. up, and mm-hmm. so the it was dropped. Mm-hmm. And so now the NFL is like, well, we're going to conduct our own investigation. It has nothing to do with the police, right. and so and and the punishment then was much more severe. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure the NFL is saying we made a mistake back then in how we dealt with these domestic violence issues. We are different now, so don't hold our current punishments to these players mm-hmm. up that's against. not a precedent for us to follow exactly but you know what but um this is not even a crime and I, I, I you know um i sort of i asked an inside person and they said that everyone does that it's not really a rule that you can't deploy yeah, but the ball an, an injustice in one place doesn't approve an injustice look, everywhere caught, else. i think they got caught and and look the nfl who else are they? I mean, who else is going to serve as a better example than Tom Brady, the superstar of American football? I mean, and the Patriots, they just, you know, had the big championship with the Super Bowl. I mean, this is a great, like you said, if they're trying to turn a new leaf and this is a perfect team and a perfect uh, um, NFL player to make an example of. I mean, I just want to tell Goodell, like, look, dude, can't you just give him a pass for being hot? Well, that's very kind of you. But I think what they should have done is I, the Colts, apparently, the general manager of the Colts sent an email to two higher ups in the NFL saying, you know, the word is that there's messing, go, messing around with the balls going on. Can you please check it out? We want an even playing field. So the NFL had a heads up aside from this, I guess, general speak that this sort of stuff happens all right. the time. So, I would have liked to see some action beforehand rather than just dealing with the consequences but do you, after. But do you actually think that deflating the ball just so you have a better grip is is that big of a deal? It doesn't it's matter. Give you that kind of an edge? It doesn't matter. It's against the rules. No, there's no rule that says you can't do it. That's what I'm saying. Really? I yes. thought that there are guidelines that the ball has to be within this a certain there's range. There's a guideline, but it's but the rule, the rule that they're punishing him for, so to speak, is that he is uh, engaging in conduct that is giving the team an unfair advantage. That's what is okay, been well, violated. Ma- I-, I was under the impression that there was a, yeah. a, a rule about the balls and how inflated or deflated mm-hmm. that they could be. And if it's outside of that and there was intentionality behind it, then right. there was some responsibility Anytime somewhere. there's a, you know, it's like performance enhancing drugs. Anytime there's an indication that someone or a team is engaging in, in any conduct that is supposed to give them, a, you know, an unfair advantage over the other team, they're subject to punishment because the integrity of the sport supposedly is called into question. I have a completely different view on that. I think that if you are an amazing athlete, that's what gets you the win. And and if the five percent you get from the performance enhancing drug or the you know better grip on the ball, uh, that's not why you. Well, win. then we should just let everybody do what they want to do. I agree. 
I think so. I don't care. But one other part that I thought was really interesting about this Mm -hmm. was the the part of the punishment that looks like it's for his unwillingness to turn over his phone and be completely open with the NFL. I don't think that if he was punished for that, that that should stand up on appeal. I think he should win that. It's very unfair because uh, they had no subpoena. You know what? I'm sorry. I don't care what the allegation is. I don't care what the investigation is. If you don't have a subpoena... Uh, as an NFL player, that's a horrible precedent to set for other players who might get called into disciplinary hearings that, oh, just because we've been accused of something, here's our private life. I mean, I don't think, I think he did the right thing and I think it's really messed up if that is a factor in that Wells report. I think it was exactly what the, well, in the letter to very Brady, unfair. It, the reason for the punishment was not just for because of the deflating, but because he Hiding refused the ball, to participate yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, cooperate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think he stands a pretty good chance to win at least uh, parts of the appeal. I don't know if it'll be completely overturned, but I do think that something uh, will change after the appeal. Yeah, I like him. I hope so. All right. Well, this brings us to the close of today's edition. We thank you so much for joining us, uh, me and Chelsea today. And we look forward to um, seeing you on our YouTube and our iTunes page. Please click like. Please post your comments and your feedback so that we can bring you more legal news that is of interest to you in the future. And we will see you next week right here on Justice is Served. Bye, everyone. From producers Maria Menounos, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of DHL or its owners or principals.